Once again, good morning to you. We want to direct your attention to an envelope here and a card. You can find these on the back tables. The congregation here is exploring the possibility of adding some more uh, men to our leadership as elders. And so if you'd like to make a suggestion, you'll see a card back there uh, with a place to insert, write down a name, but also on the back of the card, you'll see qualifications for elders according to 1 Timothy uh, 3, 1 through 7. So please pay, pay close attention to that. Make note of that. These are back there on the back uh, tables. Our lesson this morning will, as well as tonight, Lord willing, will be geared toward this ideal of appointing men to leadership positions. Okay. And so we want to uh, begin our thoughts in that direction. Let me say a couple things in introduction. I want to remind us that all Christians are to be leaders. All Christians are to be leaders. Jesus says to all of us, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine that others may know about the glory of God, be able to glorify Father, let your light so shine. In Colossians 1.28, Paul says, in all of his teaching and preaching, his goal was to, pre to present everyone, everyone mature in Christ. You see, that's a leader. That's a leader. The second thought as we get started is to remember that all of us all of us, whether we're official leaders or not, all of us are under one ruler. Okay. We're under one ruler. 1 Peter 5 verse 4 refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. The Lord himself says in Matthew 23 in verse 8, he said, um, you have but one teacher and all of you are servants. Jesus is our Lord, he's our teacher, he's our shepherd, okay? Um, the church is not um, autocratic, it's not an autocracy, a one-man rule. It's not a democracy, okay, where everybody rules, but rather it's a theocracy, where God rules, God rules, that's what the church is. And so we're all under one chief shepherd. And then this chief shepherd, Jesus, has organized his body, the church, in certain ways. Okay. His goal is that we would grow to a certain point spiritually, that we would have men qualified to serve as elders, or other word, another word for it is overseers, another word for it is uh, shepherds but that we would be organized with shepherds, overseers, deacons, servants, and saints. A one verse that mentions this is Philippians 1 and verse 1. Paul opens up his letter to the church at Philippi, and he refers to he and Timothy as servants. We're writing to all of you saints, together with the overseers there, the bishops there, and also uh, the deacons. 
So now, narrowing our mind down to the role of, of leadership, I want us to remember that there are three key words that describe leadership in the New Testament. Okay. The first word is shepherd. Shepherd. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 11 mentions different roles in the church, and one of those is pastor, or another word for pastor is shepherd. Shepherd. And then another way of saying the same function is the word elder. Elder. And this is mentioned in 1 Timothy 3, the word elder, and several other places in the New Testament. And then the third word that Peter mentions in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2 and 3 is the idea of oversight or overseer. Okay. The old versions uh, translate that word bishop, but it's really just the idea of overseeing. Okay. So leadership has three key words, shepherd, elder, and overseer. Okay. Each of these words represent a function. Okay. You are you are shepherding God's flock. You are counseling God's family. And you are overseeing his people. Okay. And we want to notice these functions today and just one of these this morning. Okay. We're going to focus this morning just on shepherding God's flock. And this evening we'll look more closely at leading God's people. Okay. And so let's narrow our focus right now to the function of shepherd, leadership, shepherd, shepherding God's flock, God's flock. And if you look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, Peter opens up that chapter by talking about shepherd the flock uh, that is there with you. Shepherd the flock. He speaks of the elders there. He says, I'm also an elder. And he says, I am encouraging the elders to shepherd the flock. God often refers to his church as, as the flock, as the flock. You might recall Jesus' words, Brother Jerry read this morning earlier from John 10, verse 16. John 10, 16. There is one shepherd, Jesus says, that's himself. There's one shepherd and one flock. Okay. And Jesus' purpose was to come and die for the sins of the world and also reconcile both Jew and Gentile into that one body, that one flock. And so we want to focus on shepherding the flock. And within this function itself, I want to mention five ministries. Okay. Five ministries that are associated with shepherding the flock. So here we go. First of all, there is a feeding ministry. A feeding ministry. Okay. A shepherd feeds his sheep. Okay. And of course, we're referring to here as the teaching part of ministry. Okay. First Timothy three verse two mentions qualifications of elders and says they ought to be apt to teach. They ought to have skill and ability to teach uh, the word of God. But this also is uh, a, an, a, a command for all of us. Uh, Paul said to Timothy in Second Timothy two and verse two, the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses. The same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Okay. And that's kind of one thought that you'll see running through 
these scriptures is that what we are describing, when you look at elders, when you look at overseers, you're basically describing a Christian who has grown to maturity. And so these ministries that we mention are ministries that all of us ought to have as a goal in our lives uh, as well. But, I'll, but let's begin by thinking about shepherding the flock, and the first ministry is the feeding ministry. Okay. And as you know and you remember, the Word of God is often looked at as food, spiritual food. Remember what Jesus said to the devil in Matthew 4 and verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay. Paul, when he was speaking to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, he says, I wanted to feed you with meat, but you weren't ready, you were still too worldly, so I, I had to feed you with milk. But still, he was bringing the word of God uh, to them. Okay. Now, when you think about regular food, how often do we eat? Okay. How often do you eat? Okay. You eat every day. And you eat, most of you eat more than one time a day. Okay. So it is to be with the word of God. It's not just a one-week Thing. It's not just a one-week occurrence. It's not just here and there. We ought to be feeding on it every, every day and several times a day if possible. And the church members and church leadership is to encourage that and to promote that and to see that that is happening. See. Acts 17, 11, and 12, you remember about the Bereans, how they searched the scriptures daily to check out what was being uh, preached. You remember of Psalm 1 about the godly man in Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And so church leadership promotes that, you see. This feeding on the word of God is primarily to start in the home and is to be in the home. And of course, it's to be in the assemblies of the church. But this feeding on the Word of God must be at all times. It begins in the home. And it's to be dominant in the home. And then that will naturally make it dominant in the uh, church assemblies, as we can see. What we're trying to stay away from is what is described in Amos, back in Minor Prophet of Amos, chapter 8, verse 11, where God warns of a famine in the land. But if you notice in Amos 8.11, it's, it's not a food shortage he's warning about. It's not a thirst for water, water that he's warning about. He's warning about a famine concerning the hearing, the hearing of the words of the Lord. You can see it for yourself, Amos 8, verse 11. This reminds us of Hebrews 5.11, where, where the apostle says, You have become dull of hearing. When we become dull of hearing, dull of reading, dull of learning then a food shortage is coming. A spiritual food shortage is coming. But a feeding ministry will head that off, as you can readily see. Now, there are several advantages for, this, for having this feeding ministry taking place. First of all, it creates the perfect environment. It creates the proper environment. Okay? We won't ever be perfect. But it creates the proper environment. I love to think about Psalm 23 when I'm thinking about shepherds and sheep. Psalm 23 
reminds us of the possibility of green pastures and still waters and paths of righteousness. You see, that's the kind of environment that the Word of God will bring out. Green pastures, still waters, and paths of righteousness. It just creates the, the good environment. Okay. Best ways of creating the, the, the environment we need in the church and home is to keep the Word of God out. Keep reading it. Keep promoting it. Keep learning from it. Keep talking about it. I've mentioned this before, but it's very interesting that if you're in a public place, okay, and you've got a lot of talk around you going on. And talk about politics. Talk about things that really don't matter. If you get out your Bible and open it up, you can clear a room real fast. Okay? You'd be amazed. Either they'll, they'll stay there with you and start talking to the Bible, about the Bible with you, or they will slowly make their way out. Okay? But it creates the proper environment. And we need a godly environment, not just at church assembly, but at home, at home, at home. If we have a, a feeding ministry taking place at church, but not a feeding ministry taking place at home, then we're just, we're just butting heads against each other. We're not making any real progress. But when that proper environment is at home, and then that's followed up and supplemented with the proper environment of learning at church, then we're on our way to green pastures. See. So it creates the, the proper environment. But it also helps, this feeding ministry also helps to combat stress. It combats stress. The more you know about the Heavenly Father, the more you know that He will take care of the need and the things that we worry and stress about so very much. At least that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, around verses 30 and 31, 32 and 33. He's really teaching against this idea of worry and anxiety. Okay. He says, your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. What needs? The needs of clothing, the needs of food, the needs of drink. He brings up the lilies of the field. He says, think about the lilies of the field and how they grow. He says, I, I say unto you that Solomon in all of his riches were not arrayed like these lilies of the field. Okay. He says, well, now if the lilies of the field are here and tomorrow they're cast in the oven and God so clothed the lilies of the field, will he not also clothe you, O you of little faith? The heavenly Father knows you have need of these things before you even start worrying about them, so don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6 and 33, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Okay. A proper feeding ministry helps to eliminate anxiety. It ought to. It ought to anyway. The last thing that ought to be present in a leader's life is anxiety. Because if a leader is full of anxiety, guess what? Everybody else is going to pick up on that and then display that in their life, in their lives as well. Okay. 1 Corinthians uh, 3 is a very important chapter when it comes to, to church involvement. Okay. A lot of people get stressed about what is going to happen, what is going to happen, what might happen, what happens at other places with churches, when really a little bit of faith will go a long way. At least 
In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Okay? To believe in that is to reduce the stress and anxiety at church. Okay? So church leaders need faith and not panic. Okay? Church leaders need faith and not panic. Panic is not part of the idea of leading God's people. And so if I'm thinking about someone to lead God's people, I'm looking into their lives and are they full of panic? Are they full of anxiety? Are they full of stress? Okay. That's not what God wants. Okay. And so we think about Shepherding the flock, the first ministry we want to mention is the feeding ministry. It has so many great advantages, and we just mentioned two. It combats stress, and it also creates the proper environment. The second ministry we want to mention this morning, the thing about shepherding the flock, is a hands-on, caring, caring, C-A-R-I-N-G, caring ministry hands-on caring ministry. There's a lot of burdens in the world. There's burdens everywhere. There's burdens in the church. We're commanded in Galatians 6 and verse 2 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus was a burden lifter. Sin is the, is the main source of burdens in life. Jesus once said, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, Matthew 11. We're to be like Him. We must have a hands-on caring ministry. Okay. How does this happen? Well, a shepherd must be close to his flock. That's how that happens. Two big requirements here. The first requirement is, if you're going to have a hands-on caring ministry, the shepherd must be close to his flock. He must know them in a very intimate way, and they must know Him in a very intimate way. Brother Jerry read for us from John 10 this morning. Look at verses 3 through 5. John 10, 3 through 5. Jesus says, My sheep, they know me. I know my sheep. I call my sheep by name. When I go out before my sheep, they know my voice, they hear my voice, and they follow me. And He goes on to say, They will not follow a stranger's voice. They don't know His voice. They will run away from a stranger's voice. Notice in John 10, even in verse uh, 14, uh, Jesus is talking about uh, the same intimate and closeness uh, there as well. In John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There must be a very intimate relationship between the leader and the flock. Okay. And if a man is going to be appointed to the official position of a shepherd, then this situation must already be in place. This must already be happening. Okay. You don't appoint a man and say, now go, go learn to flock. Go, go get acquainted. Okay. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Okay. A man who is appointed as a shepherd has already demonstrated these ideals already. He, it's already well underway in his life. It's already well underway. There's no question about it. Okay. And then the appointment uh, is made. In Psalm 95 and verse 7, we see again God depicted as shepherd. It says there, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. His hand. We are the people of his pasture, Psalm 95, 7. And the, the sheep of his hand. Whose hand? The shepherd's hand. Why, why does the sheep know the shepherd's hand? Because the shepherd's constantly among them. He knows them. They know his, the, the smell of his hand. They know, they know his presence. They feel his presence. They sense his presence. They know when he walks up, they know who he is, and he knows who they are. I have a book entitled, They Smell Like Sheep. And it's a book on leadership. It's a book on church leadership. Who is it that smells like sheep? Okay. Who is it that smells like sheep? Well, let me just give you this. I grew up and we always had dogs. Okay. And I love my dogs. Okay. Now, at home right now, we have a little thing we call a dog. A little Dotson. Okay. Bless her heart. A little Dotson. I grew up with dogs. I'm talking big dogs. St. Bernard's, German Shepherds, and the mix in there. And as boys, we would get out and wrestle with them. Okay. And we would come in smelling like dogs. And my mom would let us know real fast. Okay. This is what this book is talking about. They smell like sheep. Why do they smell like sheep? Shepherds smell like sheep because they're constantly among the sheep. That's how you have a hands-on caring ministry is that you're close to the sheep. And secondly, you have a hands-on caring ministry by simply doing what is necessary. You do what is necessary. That's what a leader does. Okay. He does what is necessary. In shepherd and sheep, there's what is called dipping time. Dipping time. What happens is, and you can just imagine on all that hair of a sheep, that sometimes there's little parasites, insects, it gets in there, it's hard to get it out, and they begin to cause disease upon the sheep. And so to, to medicate against that, to heal that, every so often shepherds go through dipping time. They'll take each sheep and dip them into a barrel of mixture that medicates against these parasites and insects that may be close to their skin and within their hair. Okay. We used to do this with our dogs. So the mixture was burnt motor oil and sulfur. You ever heard of that? Burnt motor oil and sulfur. And so every once in a while, especially in the summertime, when mange would get on our dogs, then, then one of our favorite times was when Dad said, we're going to, we're going to bathe the dogs in burnt motor oil and sulfur. We loved it. We loved to watch them run around after they've been bathing. You ever seen such that? And it's a hilarious thing to see. 
but they, they run around trying to get that off their bodies, but it helps them, it cures it. Why, that's, among shepherds, that's one of the least favorite roles. That's one of the fe- least favorite times. But it's quite a bit of trouble. Quite a, it takes a long time. It's hard to do, to dip each one. But you do what is necessary. When you are a shepherd, you do what is necessary. We see this illustrated in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan comes to where the man wounded is. He comes to where he is. And he sees his injuries. He begins to address those wounds. He has, he has ointment with him. He has oil with him. He pours it on. Then he sets the man on his on his animal that he has, and he, he carries him to a local nearby inn, and he stays there with him at that night and takes care of him. Now the phrase there, takes care of him, is interesting. Okay. All of what he's doing, he's taking care of him. Now compare that, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, when it talks about the qualifications of elders. He says there, Paul does, He says, now, a man who's going to be an elder needs to be able to manage his household well, having his children in submission with all respect. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, then how shall he take care of the church of God? That phrase, take care, there in verse 5, 4 and 5 of 1 Timothy 3, it's the same phrase used in Luke 10, of the parable of the Good Samaritan, when it says the Good Samaritan took care of the wounded man. What did he do? He did what he had to do. He didn't know what he was going to run upon. He didn't know this was even going to take place that day. But he did what he had to do to make sure the man had the care that he he needed. And that's what a good leader does. He does what is necessary. He does what is necessary. Good brother over here, David Scarborough, illustrates this. He, he has served many people in this community, but he has served Brother and Sister Counts. You guys remember Brother and Sister Counts that was among us now to live over near Muscle Shows. David has served that couple and he's done what is necessary. Sometimes it's groceries, sometimes it's, it's doctor visits, sometimes it's, it's church related, sometimes it's scripture, scripture, sometimes it's chores at the house or yard related. And right now, Brother and Sister Council, David's saying is that an assisted living place. But he knows this because he's done what is necessary to help uh, them out. That's what a leader does. Perhaps this can be summed up in Luke 2, verse 8, this idea. It says, in that region, there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their sheep by night by night. And why are they out there at night? Well, you do what is necessary. Notice, first, they are close to the sheep. They're watching them not just during the day, but at night. But they're out there at night because they care for the sheep. They don't want anything to happen to the sheep. They're doing what is necessary. This closeness to the sheep. Perhaps this can be illustrated if you look at Acts chapter 20, verse 36. Paul had just finished up a talk with the elders at Ephesus and as he began to leave, they all, Paul and the elders, they walked out a little bit before Paul left and they all knelt down and prayed. 
And then they all embraced each other and shed tears because that might have been the last time Paul would ever see them. Okay. That's the kind of closeness that God is looking for in his family, in his flock. Okay. And so in shepherding the flock, you've got a feeding ministry, you've got a hands-on caring ministry, and then a third ministry that you have, you've got a guarding, protecting ministry. A guarding, protecting ministry. Okay. Now this relates to defense. Okay. And by the way, I wish the Alabama college football team would go back and learn something about that. Okay. Just getting my frustrations out, now I'm coming back to the lesson. Okay. A guarding, a guarding, protecting, a guarding, protecting ministry. This is an extension of the caring ministry. Jesus talks about this in John 10 again, verses 11 through 13. He talks about how the fact that we don't own the flock, but we ought to care for the flock. But now a hireling, a hireling, he doesn't care for the flock. And when the wolf starts creeping in, he says, there's a better way of making a living than this. What's he going to do? A hireling is just going to leave He's going to lead the flock. He says, I don't need this. I can find another way to make a living. I can, go, I can make money another way. He doesn't really care for the flock. Okay. So he's going to lead the flock and let the wolf do whatever he wants to do. He's going to save his own hide. He's going to get out of there. Okay. But a true shepherd, he's not a hireling. He's bought in because he truly cares. He truly cares. He's going to protect that flock at all costs. And this is an important part of ministry, protecting, guarding the flock. Paul brings this up, if you want to look at it, in Acts chapter 20 with the elders at Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 29. Acts 20 and 29. Paul says, I know... I know that after my departure, he's about to leave... He says, grievous wolves will enter in, not sparing the flock. And then he lifted those guys and he said, even among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things, drawing away disciples after them. Now, one thing is so true, and you agree with it. We're not trying to make disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples for Jesus in everything that we do. We're not interested in anybody following any one person ever. We don't, we're, not, we're not trying to make a following, a personal following. Okay? We have to say that. You, you wouldn't believe how many religious people actually want to do that. But the idea is to make them disciples of Jesus. Okay? But Paul warns about grievous wolves entering in, not sparing the flock. See, the church is a flock. Not sparing the flock. What would Paul do about it? Here's what Paul's doing about it. If you look in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, he says, I, I have taught you the whole counsel of God. So he, he says, one way of heading this off is to teach the whole counsel of God. Teach it all. Then if you look at verse 28, he tries to keep them focused on the cross. He says, be sure to examine yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of our Lord, 
which he has purchased, which he has purchased, which he has purchased with his own blood. That's how we guard the flock. We've got to stay close to the cross. We teach the whole counsel of God and we stay close, close, we stay close to the cross. Okay. Well, then he says, going back to verse 29, he says, you've got to be aware of those wolves. Now Jesus further explained the wolves. Jesus said, where was it? Matthew 7, 15 and 16. He says, beware of wolves but they'll be dressed in sheep's clothing. Now, sheep's clothing is where the world gets carried away. Sheep's clothing. Because the wolves are going to look very much like sheep. Why sheep's clothing? First of all, because it's comforting. When you see sheep, you don't see threats. You don't see any threats when you just look at a sheep. What can a sheep do to you? So that's how Satan appears to us, okay, as non-threatening. But then the second thing about a wolf in sheep's clothing is he's very convincing. Okay. And there's a lot of false teachers in the world. They're very, they're very convincing. They sound a lot like the Bible. They use a lot of Bible words, but they're not teaching what the Bible says. I hear this statement every once in a while. If God had a refrigerator, he would have a picture of you magneted on it with a magnet. When I hear that, I start to put my finger down my throat and gag. The reason being is, oh, that sounds so nice, don't it? God don't have a refrigerator. First place, you don't have a refrigerator. Okay. There's nothing physical about God. But just... The reason I get gagged about that is because I know where they're coming from. They're not talking about coming to God from a sense of, of guilt and sin. They're not talking about coming to God from a sense of Scripture and New Testament teaching. They're just coming at God from a sense of, well, He's so loving He would never condemn anybody. That's where they're coming from. Okay. It sounds nice. Sounds loving. Sounds like a sheep. But underneath, there's a lot of false ideals involved. And so there's a protecting, guarding ministry in shepherding the flock. It's incumbent upon all of us to be involved in this. We are members one of another. Romans 12.5 is one of my favorite statements. We are members one of another. Everything that is expected of a leader primarily is expected of all of us. We are members one of another, and because we're members one of another, we care for each other, and we're going to be trying to protect each other as well, but that's also is included in the, in the work of shepherds. A fourth ministry is that of a, retri a retrieving ministry, a rescuing, retrieving ministry. We won't belabor this long. This is naturally part of a shepherd's duty, a retrieving, rescuing ministry. People wander away. At the end of the book of James, that's what James says, people just wander away. Like sheep, we just wander away. He that converts the sinner from the error of the wandering of his way shall save a soul from death and shall 
hide a multitude of sins, according to James, at the end of his book. We all got to be involved in this rescue, retrieving ministry, especially shepherds of the flock. How does Jesus help us with this? Well, he focuses our attention on one, on one, on one. I am very convinced that part of the stress and anxiety that we find in church is because we try to bite off too much when God didn't ever tell us to do that. He said, just work on one. Work on one. Do you have one you're working on? If a man has a hundred sheep, Jesus said, Luke 15, and one of them be gone astray, what does he do? He leaves the 99 out here in the wilderness and he goes after that one who has gone astray. And when he finds it, he rejoices more over the one who went astray than of the 99 who did not go astray. And he calls his neighbors and friends and family members together and say, Rejoice with me for the sheep that I lost, the one that I lost I have now found. So, Jesus goes on to say in Luke 15, so there is joy in heaven. You say, so what? This shepherd rejoices over his sheep. Well, this is where Jesus is going to. There is joy in heaven, he says. Luke 15, 3 through 7. There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Jesus helps us with this retrieving ministry by focusing us on one. On one. 99 99 is not enough in God's sight. 99% is not enough in God's sight. See, Jesus himself spent a lot of time with individuals. Look at all that time he spent with just Nicodemus and John 3. Look at all that time he spent with the woman at Jacob's well in John 4. Look at all the time he spent just with his disciples a few at a time. We, we try to bite off too much. When Jesus said, just work on it one at a time. You'd be amazed at what God can do and work on it one at a time. One. And then Jesus, he helps us in this retrieving ministry by taking us back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. Look how Jesus works on the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4 through 6. He says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first works what would their first works be? He actually says they have abandoned their first what? Their first love. Their first love. Remember John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Somewhere along the line they have abandoned keeping the commandments of God. Galatians 5, 6 says, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing but faith that works through love. They have abandoned their first calling. They have abandoned something about working out their faith and keeping the commandments. He says, remember from where you have fallen and repent. This is serious business. Jesus once said, Luke 13, 3, if you don't repent, what do you do? You perish. Okay? So even though he's talking to church members, he's talking to them who've got their soul on the line. He's talking to some folks who, if they don't repent, they're going to perish. So he says, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. Go back to the beginning and look at yourself and look at, look at ourselves, look at myself and ask, your, ask myself, ask yourself, did you ever have any passion back at the beginning when you first became a Christian? 
Did you have any passion at all? And if you did, do you still have that same passion? Do you still have that same zeal? Do you still have that same love? This is how Jesus worked on people. He took them back to the beginning of whenever they first got introduced to him. He went back. How was it then? And you might even ask this question. Were you truly converted then? Were you truly converted? Might might think about your baptism. We we speak all the time about the importance of the the big four things about baptism. You've got to have the right ingredient, which is water. You've got to have the right action, which is which is immersion. Okay. You've got the right person, a person who believes and is ready to re- repent and is repenting and turn away from sin. Okay. You've got the right person. You've got the right purpose, that is, for the remission of sins. Okay. Go back and think about your baptism. Go back and think about something. Go back to the beginning. So, in shepherding the flock, shepherding the flock, we see several ministries there's a feeding ministry. There's a hands-on caring ministry. There's a guarding and protecting ministry. And there is this retrieving and rescuing ministry. And let us finish with this one. A sacrificing. Sacrifice. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Sacrificing ministry. He gives it all up. This is the type of individual that the Lord is looking for. One like Paul. One like Paul. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15, he says, I will gladly spend and be spent in behalf of your souls. Sacrifice. And so that's all we've got time to say. I've gone way past this morning, but... Wanted to tackle at least a part of this. We'll finish up some of this, some of these thoughts tonight, good Lord willing. Right now we're going to sing a song of invitation. And in a sense, this has helped us prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Especially when we think about sacrifice. What Jesus has already done for us. He wants us to follow His same pattern. We can't offer ourselves for the sins of the world, but we can lay down our lives for Him who did And so where are we at? What am I doing? What are my thoughts? Where's my passion? Am I walking with the Lord? If we can assist you this morning, please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Bean.